Hello and welcome to the SWIB podcast, where members of the Wisconsin retirement system can turn for timely information on the investments that help fund the state's pension system. I'm Chris Preisler, communications specialist for the State of Wisconsin Investment Board, or SWIB. And I'm Dusty Weiss, producer of the podcast. Innovation has always been critical to SWIB's success. Since its creation in 1951, SWIB has been a leader in many areas. In addition to being the first public pension to invest in public equities, SWIB was also one of the first public pension funds to include a private placements investment program offering loans at market rates to companies in Wisconsin and nationwide. SWIB was also among the first public pensions to invest in private equity markets. As the world's economy changed, so did SWIB. In the 1980s and 1990s, international and developing markets were added to the investment strategy as more of the world opened up to the investment board. SWIB founded a new venture capital program focused on Wisconsin and the Midwest in 1999. And then more recently, SWIB established global portfolios, added leverage, hedge funds, and more. And over the course of its history, as the assets continued to grow and the investment industry and the world continued to change, SWIB positioned itself for the future, turning to more innovative ways of investing. Last year, SWIB continued to look forward when it launched two internal alternative fixed income strategies. The new mortgage-backed securities and high-yield portfolios are designed to target less efficient segments of the market. And SWIB partnered with three North American public pension plans to create the Global Peer Financing Association, an innovative nonprofit investment group focused on peer-to-peer securities financing opportunities. Today, we're going to talk about these innovative initiatives and find out more about how they fit into SWIB's overall investment strategy for the Wisconsin retirement system and how they're keeping SWIB among the investment management leaders in public pensions. The SWIB podcast is a regular opportunity for you to learn more about the people and funds that comprise the Wisconsin retirement system. Please make sure you subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Share this podcast with your fellow WRS members and leave a review on iTunes so it's easier for other members to find this show. Our first guest is Mike Shearer, SWIB's Head of Alternative Fixed Income Strategies. Mike has been with SWIB six years. Before coming to SWIB, he spent time on both coasts. Mike grew up in Los Angeles and earned his bachelor's degree and PhD in applied mathematics from UCLA and became head of mortgages at Barclays Global Investors in San Francisco. He left the West Coast to become managing director and head of structured products and quantitative strategies at Atlantic Asset Management in Stamford, Connecticut. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. SWIB launched its mortgage-backed securities portfolio in 2020. Can you explain what are mortgage-backed securities? Sure. Mortgage-backed securities, also called MBS, are fixed-income investments similar to a corporate bond that's made up of a bundle of home loans bought from the banks that issued them. Investors in MBS take a little piece of a lot of mortgages and in return receive periodic payments similar to bond coupon payments. Investing in an MBS is more diversified than buying individual loans or a basket of individual loans because an MBS can contain thousands of mortgages. We focus primarily on what are called agency MBS. Those are bonds that are backed either implicitly or explicitly by government agencies. Those agencies are Ginnie Mae, Fannie Mae, and Freddie Mac. Agency MBS did considerably better in the great financial crisis than non-agency or private label MBS. You know, Mike, MBS and some of the other strategies that we're going to talk about today, they're really kind of above and beyond the areas where you would see a typical pension fund try to go out and make gains for its members. 
what would you say then are some of the advantages for SWIB in venturing out into these new strategies? So one advantage of adding these new sectors is that you're bringing in people with different perspectives. They have long careers looking at the market, different sectors of the market in slightly different ways. When you put these senior investors in with a lot of other senior investors that already are at SWIB, it enhances everybody's thinking and it really makes the conversations better and gives us a better view of the market overall. And so, Mike, when then did SWIB start looking at adding MBS investments to its portfolio? What what sort of prompted that decision? SWIB has invested indirectly in MBS for a number of years, primarily through one or two external portfolio managers. SWIB never had a mortgage-backed security benchmark prior to 2020, but some managers did invest a portion of SWIB's assets in MBS. As far as investing internally, I joined in 2015, and part of the reason I came to SWIB was to get started in MBS and other similar sectors. So what is the goal of these investments? How do they add value to the WRS? Investing in MBS and other structured product sectors allows us to take advantage of another source of excess return and potential alpha and adds diversification to the WRS fixed income position. The depth and liquidity of the agency MBS market and the range of investment opportunities in the sector make it a very compelling part of the overall market. So, Mike, I watched The Big Short with Christian Bale. Now, my expertise in this area ends there. But I seem to remember that mortgage-backed securities loaded up with subprime loans played a central role in the financial crisis that began in 2007. So is there a risk that's involved with these type of investments? And and have there been any changes to the way that these investments are made based on what happened in 2007? So that's a very good question. You can probably imagine I've gotten it before. And I'm hearing it again more recently with the increase in housing prices across the United States. The short answer is that agency MBS, which the mortgage portfolio primarily invests in, did not suffer anywhere near the deterioration that other MBS, like subprime, dealt with. At its low point, the excess return of the MBS index was down about 3% versus about 45% for the subprime index, in fact. A word on 2007, which was sort of the peak of home values and where home price appreciation maxed out. In my opinion, the biggest driver of the mortgage bubble was a flood of really poorly constructed lending products. You mentioned subprime. The most common loan offered to subprime borrowers at that time was a loan that had a fixed, very low rate for two years, say 3%, then converted to a floating rate payment in the 7 to 8% area. The borrower with that loan qualified based on the 3% payment. The idea was that home prices were increasing so fast that the borrower could refinance before the 3% payment switched to the 7 or 8% payment. And we can't forget the so-called no-doc loans. This all obviously didn't end well since home prices didn't go up indefinitely. The difference now, at least so far, is that those lending products don't exist and the process for getting a loan that's more traditional and straightforward has normalized. The whole lending process from loan products to credit checks to appraisals and on and on are things that we watch very closely while we're monitoring the portfolio in the market. So you launched this portfolio, which, as you said, is being managed internally last year and had a really strong year as far as performance goes. Was there something about 2020 that created an attractive environment for this strategy? 
certainly the Fed buying MBS lifted all boats, and this helped, especially in a launch year. Overall, we're running a number of distinct sub-strategies within the portfolio, and in 2020, most of them did well. Some did well because of the Fed's support of the market, but others are uncorrelated to the overall market performance, and they happen to do well, too. Our goal is to attain outperformance over the long term by building these uncorrelated or at least lightly correlated sub-strategies that together reduce portfolio risk. Mike, thanks for joining us on the SWIB podcast and for helping us better understand how mortgage-backed securities fit into SWIB's investment strategy for the WRS. That's Mike Shearer, SWIB's head of alternative fixed income strategies. Thank you. We're going to turn our attention now to another new portfolio that SWIB launched last year as a part of its alternative fixed income strategies. Dave Jordan is SWIB's high yield portfolio manager, and Dave joined SWIB last July after spending 11 years with Ballyasney Asset Management in Chicago. Prior to that, he was a credit and equities trader at UBS O'Connor in Chicago. Dave earned his bachelor's degree in economics from the University of Chicago and his master's in computational finance from Carnegie Mellon University's Tepper School of Business. So, Dave, welcome to the SWIB podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So, Dave, we just finished talking with Mike Shearer about the mortgage-backed securities portfolio launched last year. SWIB continued to successfully build on its internal management program last year with the transition of its high-yield portfolio to in-house management. This is another great example of how SWIB is finding ways to continue to meet the challenges of a changing investment environment on behalf of WRS participants. So can you talk about what high yield investments are? I think the easiest way for our listeners to understand what high yield investments are is to think of them as loans. Basically, we make loans to corporate borrowers And in return for making those loans, we expect some amount of return, commonly thought of as interest payments. And depending on the credit quality or likelihood for that borrower to be able to repay the loan that we make to them, we require a certain amount of those interest payments. Now, it's referred to as high yield investment because, as you might imagine, we require a higher amount of interest solely because of the more challenging credit quality of the borrower, whether it be through higher leverage or poor credit rating. My job as a high yield PM is to ensure that SWIB is being adequately compensated for the risk that they're taking by making these loans to these corporate borrowers. And as we've said on this podcast before, of course, SWIB has a number of investment products that it uses to generate returns on behalf of WRS participants. So how does this portfolio fit into SWIB's diversified investment strategy for the core fund? Because it's a unique asset class separate from other investments, there's some amount of uncorrelated returns. One of my focuses as PM is to generate what we call alpha meaning returns above and beyond what we'd simply receive as a result of being long the market. So this type of strategy allows us to deliver performance regardless of the environment which we are facing. So my objective as PM is to deliver outperformance whether the market's going higher or whether it's going lower. This provides incredible diversification for the core trust fund. Why did SWIB decide to manage these investments in-house? What makes an in-house high-yield portfolio more attractive? Oh, good question. So historically, SWIB had outsourced their high-yield assets, but unfortunately kept getting underperformance and lower returns than what would have been expected. 
And on top of that, they were paying fees to get that underperformance. So ultimately, the decision was made to bring the assets in-house, save on fees, and hire somebody like myself who can outperform their respective benchmark. This proved to be quite cost-effective and gave much greater level of control over the portfolio. Additionally, by having somebody like myself in-house, it provides a much better opportunity for us to collaborate with some of our investment cohorts, whether it be in equities or whether it be in other parts of fixed income. And so it really allowed some collaboration and sharing of ideas so that all teams can benefit from having the expertise in-house. So just as some background, the high yield portfolio is just one example of SWIB's continuing effort to manage more assets in-house. Since 2007, SWIB's investment strategy has included building and maintaining a strong internal management program. SWIB manages more than 50% of all funds internally, up from 21% in 2007. Dave, is that a figure that will continue to grow? Well, there are no specific goals. However, we will get more complex, and if opportunities arise, we may bring in more strategy, if appropriate, to run them in-house. Dave, this is your first public sector position after spending your whole career at various hedge funds. Are there differences in running a strategy like this at a public pension versus a hedge fund? Uh, Yes, quite a few. That being said, I think the single biggest differentiating factor between the two is honestly the patience of having longer term capital. As you might imagine, hedge funds tend to want performance now and I think sometimes tend to focus on the shorter term The benefit of having this longer-term capital at SWIB is to basically see the bigger picture and really help assess where do I want to be positioned going into next quarter, next year, and where do I see the best opportunities in the future? You know, Dave, the focus of this episode, the theme that we've sort of highlighted is innovation. And so can you tell us a little more about some of the ways that you're using innovative approaches to running the high-yield portfolio? So historically, portfolio managers manage against a benchmark simply by trying to use security and sector selection. However, we tend to like to take that a step further and really focus on alpha strategies that allow us to outperform our benchmark even in down markets. For example, we use certain strategies such as identifying catalysts, trading long and short position, using credit ETFs as overlays to efficiently hedge out various parts of exposure and opportunistically using some amount of leverage. Well, Dave, this has been fascinating as well and yet another great piece of the SWIB innovation puzzle. So thank you so much for being a part of the SWIB podcast and sharing your insight into the high-yield portfolio that SWIB is managing. That's Dave Jordan, SWIB's high-yield portfolio manager. And thank you so much for having me. Finally, now we're going to talk to Chris Benish, a managing analyst in SWIB's Asset and Risk Allocation Division. He oversees passive allocations for the pension fund, and in addition, he collaborates on strategies involving leverage, collateral, and liquidity management. Chris has been at SWIB for 14 years. He earned his bachelor's degree in communication and media studies and his MBA from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. He's also a member of the board of directors of the Global Peer Financing Association. So, Chris, welcome to the SWIB podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. 
Chris, we've been talking today about innovative initiatives SWIB has implemented recently. One of those initiatives was SWIB's collaboration with three other public pension funds to launch the GPFA, which incidentally was just named Partnership of the Year at the Institutional Investor Allocators Choice Awards in New York. Can you tell us a little bit about the GPFA? Sure, Chris. If we go back, uh, gosh, over a decade and really more formally, probably for the last six years or so, there's a small group of leading U.S. and Canadian pension funds that have been meeting on a fairly regular basis to discuss different securities finance activities that we've been engaged in. What we found is that a lot of us were involved in a lot of the same activities, and these meetings quickly became a forum to share information and experiences in order to improve and enhance securities lending and other financing practices that we were doing. Over time, what we saw was the landscape of the securities finance market was evolving as asset managers increasingly turned to one another to supplement trade opportunities with their more traditional counterparties. As we talked about this sort of peer-to-peer trading, we quickly found that each of the founding members had different issues to solve for. Some of us needed to figure out the right legal or operational structure for the trades. Some needed help figuring out how to evaluate the credit worthiness of a non-standard counterparty. Some needed to think through how to build support internally around this idea. And as we all know, things that are innovative are by definition unfamiliar. So there was a bit of a hill to climb with respect to getting the necessary approvals and sign-offs within each of our organizations. Collectively, though, as we talked through these opportunities in front of us, our organizations did recognize what we were trying to build and ultimately embrace the idea. By going through this process, what we realized was there's real value in collaboratively solving for these different issues. While no two of the organizations are alike, what we now had was a roadmap that others could reference. We continued talking amongst ourselves. We shared our experiences at conferences. We talked with other beneficial owners. And as this working group progressed and evolved, these other beneficial owners were really interested in learning about and promoting peer-to-peer trading. So we decided to expand the discussions and form the Global Peer Financing Association. Even though the original members were all pension funds, the GPFA is interested in expanding membership to include asset managers, insurance companies, and really lots of other similar beneficial owners. All right, Chris, so let's get into the nuts and bolts then. What is peer-to-peer lending and what are some of the benefits? Peer-to-peer can take a lot of different forms. I think at its most basic, peer-to-peer lending is the process of lending and borrowing that happens without the use of a traditional banker or broker-dealer counterparty. And the benefits will vary. Some of our peers look at it as a diversification strategy. Some are able to realize cost savings by cutting out those traditional counterparties. Some are able to realize cost savings by cutting out a traditional banker, broker-dealer intermediary. SWIB started down this path because we were seeing capacity constraints. If we go back several years, some of our traditional counterparties were less interested in the kind of low-risk, low-return borrowing we typically do. We found willing counterparties amongst our peers who often hold large amounts of cash and were willing to lend to us. The reality is, if you get 10 pension funds in a room, you quickly find there are always a mix of lenders and borrowers. Traditional banks and brokers do serve an important role in easily connecting two sides of a transaction, but for more sophisticated plans, sometimes that intermediation isn't always necessary. By overcoming some of the challenges we did, we were able to unlock more opportunities to lend and borrow, which increases overall market liquidity, which benefits all the participants. I'd say another huge benefit is that asset owners make for good counterparties. 
we evaluate each peer just like we would any other trading counterparty, but by and large, they're of a very high quality credit. These are other large pools of stable assets who are going to make good on their obligations. We also like the consistency. Quarter end and year end can be a challenging time for bank balance sheets, but we found that isn't the case for a lot of our fellow asset managers. Can you give us some examples of peer-to-peer transactions that SWIB might be doing? Certainly. We might lend and borrow eligible securities to or from another pension plan versus very standard collateral sets. The structure of the trade is the same as our traditional counterparties, but it opens up a larger universe from which we can choose and improves the overall availability and pricing for these kinds of transactions. We also borrow cash from other pension funds via something called a repurchase agreement. Again, this grew out of necessity several years back as our traditional channels were becoming less available. Some of that market liquidity is thawed now, but we do plan to continue utilizing a mix of both traditional and pure counterparties to make sure that our borrowing sources are well diversified. Other examples from within the Global Peer Financing Association include asset managers investing stable cash with a pension plan that's looking to borrow. There are also sovereign wealth funds engaging in both lending and repo with another global pension plan. By bringing these different asset owners together in a collaborative spirit, we're able to identify these sorts of complementary needs. So other than finding willing partners for peer-to-peer transactions, why was it important to collaborate with these other pensions and form the GPFA? Since SWIB participates in peer-to-peer activity, we felt that helping form and be part of something like the GPFA was important because the GPFA is promoting practices that are conducive to efficient peer-to-peer trade execution in securities lending, securities borrowing, and, and lots of other transactions. The GPFA also encourages the development and maintenance of a transparent cost effective and productive market with sound risk management practices. It creates a forum for information sharing and discussion among new beneficial owners interested in learning more about peer-to-peer. And we bring members together on a whole range of other topics. It might be legal, technology, benchmarking, and we involve other professionals from across our organizations. This often serves as a springboard for more networking and other information sharing between our funds. So, Chris, do you see the GPFA taking on a bigger role in this space as your association continues to grow? Well, we know there are lots of other industry associations out there, and many of us belong to many of them. I think the difference here is that many of those organizations and really the finance industry on the whole is structured by and for the benefit of large banks. This This association is a grassroots effort for and by asset owners, and the focus is on our interest and benefits for our beneficiaries. The association currently has over 20 members and represents nearly $9 trillion under management, and it's growing. We recognize the collective power in bringing these large, sophisticated asset managers together, and the attention we've received from the industry has really underscored that. Chris, thanks for joining us today and sharing your expertise on peer-to-peer lending and the Global Peer Financing Association. That's Chris Benish, SWIB Managing Analyst and GPFA Board Member. Thanks, guys. And thank you again to all our guests today for helping us turn the spotlight on some of the innovative things SWIB is doing as part of its overall investment strategy for the WRS. And thank you for checking out this episode of the SWIB podcast. The SWIB podcast is brought to you by the State of Wisconsin Investment Board and produced by PodCamp Media. Branded podcast production for businesses, podcampmedia.com. Our producer is Larry Kilgore III. So thanks again for listening. I'm Chris Preisler. And I'm Dusty Weiss.